Today's message is always pray and never lose hope. Everybody say the word hope. You know, hope and prayer go together. Many times, we, as a matter of fact, sometimes we're, um, you know, we, we well, let, let me just get into that. In Job chapter 8 and verse 13, look in your notes this morning. It sums up uh, what's wrong with our world. And one of the friends, quote unquote, of Job, uh, Bildad says, those who forget God have no hope. Those who forget God have no hope. Now, friends, we, we see the proof of that statement literally in every single sector of our society today. Because in our society today, we're seeing people that don't have hope. There's evidence of that in their life. And that, that's further away, you know, from those who have less hope than we have. On the other hand, the closer you get to God, how many of you know the more hope one will have? In other words, you get closer to God. If you're getting farther away from God's less hope, you get closer to God, there's going to be more hope in one's life. So the most hopeful people on the planet Earth, I believe, is those who live close to God, those who are praying, those who are seeking God. So, and, and the most hopeless people in the world are those on Earth who, who feel far away from God, and they just feel like they don't have no hope. So you've noticed that a lot of people put their hope in a lot of things. How many of you would agree this morning that some people put their hope in politics? I mean, that's all they talk about is politics. Some people put their uh, hope on the, the horse race or, or whatever that they're betting on. Uh, our hope does not lie in, in, in the man that we put in the White House. Our hope lies in God's house and the man we put on the cross. Somebody say amen. That's where our hope lies. And, you know, here's the problem. And it, it doesn't matter if you're a, a Republican or Democrat or, or an Independent. Too many times people put their hope in a, in a president. It's almost like a president is, a, is a nation, the nation's pastor, and he's not. Let me tell you something. God is our hope. Can you say amen to that? And, and you know, I'm not, again, I'm not saying anything about Democrats or Republicans or independents. What I'm saying is we need to be focused on God. And if we're focused on God, everything else is going to fall into place. It's interesting when people don't have a higher power in their life, they begin to lean upon the government. And they look to the government, and they, and they, they look to man. So we actually know that some, something greater than government that we need to look to, and it's God today. Somebody say amen. And that's where I have my hope this morning. But the Bible says those who forget God have no hope. If we're forgetting God, if we're taking God out of the equation, we don't have no hope. In other words, we may think we have hope, and, we may, you know, and we're going to talk about that, but what happens when a, a culture that, when they forget God? What happens? Wealth is, idol, is, is idolized. Truth is mentalized. Life is trivialized. Abortion is legalized. Television is vulgarized. Advertising is sensualized. Everything is sexualized and commercialized. Can I get a witness this morning? And our conscience has been desensitized. And, and education is secularized. Uh, secularized. Free markets are not monopolized. Races are polarized. So, uh, politics are polarized. Sports are scandalized. And morals and ethics are, 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 are liberal. Come on, somebody. And, and this is what our world is looking at like today. So, you know, we, as we look at this, polls over the past 15 years say that America is going in the wrong direction. And I believe that with all my heart. And why? It's because we're taking our focus off of God. We're putting our focus on man. We're putting our focus on government. We're putting our focus on things that cannot really help us. Folks, our help is in God. Somebody say amen. And we need to put our hope and our trust in God. So, you know, I want to talk about what hope is and what hope is not. So 
you know, what is real hope? Hope is not optimism. Now, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic, okay? So what is real hope? Hope is far more than, than theological as well. It, it, it's not psychological, and it's not uh, being optimistic. Now, optimism is, is telling yourself that things are going to be great when in reality they're not going to be great. Now, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being an, an optimist. You know, what is an optimist? An op- optimist is somebody that's fallen from a 100-story building and he's fa- fallen 99 stories. He says, so far, so good. <laughs> Haven't hit bottom yet. But I tell you what, unless he's got, unless he's got some kind of a cushion or unless he's got something, a parachute's going to open, he's doomed. Come on, somebody. So a pessimist is on the other side of that. And, 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 and who wants to be a pessimistic person? So hope is uh, little orphan Annie saying the sun will come out tomorrow. But I'm sorry, some days the sun doesn't come out. Somebody say amen. So we need to realize that. You know, it's kind of like we get sometimes, it's the same with joy and happiness. You know, uh, you know, you may, you know, happiness will come and go depending on the circumstance around you. But if you've got the joy of the Lord, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. It's okay on the inside because you've got the joy of the Lord. So we're talking about a spiritual concept that we need to have in our lives. Somebody say amen. So you can be optimistic. You can be optimistic and say, if one drinks poison, you say, I, I hope I won't die. That's being optimistic. But I say one thing, you know, you, you probably will. You know, so, you know, you, you, you need to think of it in, in terms like that. So hope is so much different. Optimism says it's not as bad as you think. That, that's being optimistic. And that's okay. I'm not, you know, it's better than being pessimistic, okay? But hope says it's bad. It's really bad. But I still believe that things can be better. I still believe that my God is able. Come on, somebody. So that's what hope is is all about. So optimism denies reality. It's not bad when, in fact, it is bad. And let me tell you something. If that's your kind of hope, then that's not the right kind of hope that we need to have. So optimism often denies the reality of life. How many of you know we live in in a broken world? Somebody say amen. We live in a world where, (coughs) excuse me, that, that there's things that happen all around us. And so let me just give you uh, three. Uh, the, uh, the Bible talks about three kinds of hope. And I want to give you those real quickly this morning to kind of set a basis, a foundation of where we're going with this, uh, you know, praying and having hope and them going together. Number one, write this down. The first one is wishful hope, okay? Having wishful hope, okay? And, and, and well, you say, well, what does that look like? Well, wishful hope it's what most people mean when they use the word hope. You know, you're late to a meeting and you say, you know, I, I hope that light is green when I go through it. So that's, that's kind of being wishful. Come on, somebody. You're just kind of being wishful. That's really all you're doing, okay? And then the second one there, it's called expected hope, okay? You say, what does that look like? Expected hope is like this. There, there, there's basis for it, actually, in, in reality, uh, rather than simply wishful thinking, okay? And it goes like this. Uh, you know, it's like, if I go out and I plant some seeds, okay, tomato seeds, and uh, in my garden I say, I, I hope that they sprout. Well, there's a, a good reason for your, them to sprout. You have an expectation because you know that there's a, the law of the harvest is there, and they probably will, and you can hope that, and that's a good way to put it. But let me tell you of another hope that I tell you that's a, this is the one that we need to be centered on this morning, and the third one is called a certain hope. And this is what the Bible talks about, a certain hope that we can have. The Bible talks about a, a, a person of hope, not, not wishing, not feeling, not simply expecting, 
but knowing. Everybody say knowing. But knowing for certain that if you're going to have what you hope for. And the Bible says in Hebrews, faith is the assurance or the confidence of things not seen. It is certain of the things that you hope for that are not seen. So we see that faith and hope kind of go together. So, you know, if you're saying you want to have faith in God, it usually it starts with hope, okay? But it needs to be a certain hope. It doesn't need to be a wishful hope or an expected hope. It needs to be a hope that is based on the Word of God. And the Bible says there's three of the greatest virtues is faith, hope, and love. That's the three greatest virtues in the Bible, okay? And I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. It's in your notes. I think it might be part of it does up here. Go to the next one. The certain hope underlines the, the, the certain hope of being saved. And if you trust in Christ that you're going to be saved is a strong and trustworthy. And it says that it's an anchor to your soul. Now, we, we, uh, in certain hope, there's no doubt. There's no hesitation. There's no reservation because it's certain. It's certain hope. So this certain hope has three characteristics in it as well. And the first one there, certain hope of being saved is strong. Everybody say strong. And it's strong, and it's solid, and it's sturdy, and it's stable, and it's firm. It's unchanged, and it's not weak, and it's something that we need. So like, yes, I can handle that. I, I need some of that in my life. It also says it's trustworthy, and I want you to circle that strong and trustworthy. It means it's dependable. It means it's reliable. You can bet your life on it. It's certain hope. In other words, that's that certain hope. And then the third thing there, it says it's an anchor, and I want you to underline that anchor. It's an anchor. And what's an anchor? What's the purpose of an anchor? You see, in the Bible, it says that, uh, that, that hope is the anchor of your soul. Think about that. Hope is the anchor of your soul. So, so what is that? What does that look like? Why do I need hope? It often is said this, that you can go weeks without food. Uh, you can go a little longer. You know, and some of us could go a little longer than that. Come on, somebody. Okay, but you can go days without water. I mean, you know, you, you could. You could go minutes without air. People go underwater. You know, you go minutes without air, but you cannot go five seconds without hope. So come on, somebody. If you really don't have hope, one dies. When you, you see a lot of people that when they get to the end of their life, they just give up. They have no hope. They die. And, and we need hope. Everybody say we need hope. So he says hope is the anchor of the soul. What is this purpose of the anchor of the ship in a boat? It has two purposes. Number one, the first purpose is it keeps it from drifting. Everybody say drifting. And the second is it adds stability in a storm. Now, there's two things that you need in your life, okay? You, you need, uh, this is why we need to be in a study hope is because you need it as an anchor of your soul. The same two reasons a ship needs an anchor, you need an anchor in your soul as well. And the Bible says this, notice this, it says the anchor. Fame, it's not all the other things. The anchor of your soul is hope. Everybody say hope. That's the anchor of your soul, okay? And when you've got hope, you're stronger. You know, you're, you're stronger with hope. Your hope, the stronger your hope, the stronger your anchor. And, and the stronger and the sturdier you're going to be in life. Hope is an anchor because it keeps you, it keeps the boat from floating. And let me just say this it will keep us from floating as well. Somebody say amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember one time I was fishing in a lake, and we didn't put an anchor down. And, boy, I was catching fish, and I was doing all right. And all of a sudden, I just wasn't catching fish no more. And I'm thinking, well, I was, it was doing good. What happened? They quit biting. No, my, my boat moved. 
I was in a school of fish, and I was doing good, but, Jim, I didn't put the anchor down, you know, and I'm way back down, and I looked around, and I, well, I don't wonder, I'm, I'm almost on the shore. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I mean, I'm back where I started from. So, you know, we need an anchor, and on that anchor, there's a chain, okay? And obviously, uh, you know, that chain is for a reason there. And you know, if the boat starts to drift, it'll drift a little bit, but it'll just drift kind of in a circle, you know, kind of go around like this, and it's not going to go far because it's going to go only as far as that chain and anchor will hold it in place. It might kind of go around a little bit, and that's the way we are in life. Folks, I'll tell you, when we are anchored, we've got an anchor of hope in our soul uh, in the Bible and in Jesus. Let me tell you something. We're going to be okay. Somebody say amen. Uh, we may move a little bit, but let me tell you something. We're, going to move not, we're not going to move much because we're going to be there where Jesus wants us to be. Can you say amen? And you know, a lot of, you know, they used to use as anchors, they used to use rocks. They just d- drill a hole in the rock, you know, and then they, and, and that would be the anchor. How many of you know Jesus is our rock? Somebody say amen. He is our anchor, and we need him in our lives. And the bigger your ship, the bigger your anchor needs to be. And, and, and how many of you would agree that, that you have spiritual storms in your life? Let me see your hands. You have spiritual storms in your life? There's times when things come up, we, we're not expecting this, or we're not expecting that. St- spiritual storms come up in our life, and, and, and you have relational storms, you have financial storms, you have emotional storms, you have mental storms in your life, and you need that anchor for your soul. And some people, they, they don't know what to do because they're not anchored. But folks, I'll tell you, if you're anchored in Jesus, if you're where you need to be with Jesus, everything's going to be okay because you have an anchor in your soul. You're not going anywhere. Somebody say Amen. So the question is this, where do you get it? The fact is when people are in a storm, they typically look to everything else except God for their anchor. They don't look for hope. They don't look for hope in God. You know, when people are in deep pain and deep discouragement and deep despair, they often look, help me out, at the bottom of a bottle for their hope. Come on, somebody. Or they're looking for medicine, they're looking for drugs, they're looking for all kinds of other things. And let me tell you something, prescription drugs, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but even that sometimes can go extreme in areas. Let me tell you something, our hope really needs to be in God. I'm not against medicines, I'm not saying that anything about that, but let me tell you something, we need to have a faith in God and a trust in God, and God can take care of us. Can you say amen to that? Mm. But God says... What you really need is hope. So the question remains, what makes the difference between wishful hope, expected hope, and certain hope? You can count on certain hope. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, wishful thinking, you might say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just praying that I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I hope that I have that parking spot right at the head, you know, right there in front. Come on, somebody. I hope that light is green. Well, it may or may not be. Come on, somebody. But that certain hope, that's what we really need. It's solid, it's strong, and we need that. Can you say amen? amen. It's trustworthy. It's an anchor for us. So write this down. Real hope is based on God's word, not my wishes. Need to write that down. See, again, I, I can wish for this. You know, I can wish for that. And, and a lot of times that's what it happens in life. We've got some wishful thinking going on. But we're not really have faith and hope in God and trusting God for a situation And folks, that's the reason we need to be in that prayer closet and we need to be seeking God and we need to be asking God about these things and things in our lives and having time with God because we'll get out of that wishful thinking 
And we'll get into that place where that, that we know God's word and we know what God's word says. We'll see the promises of his word and we'll get God's word. We'll hide it in our hearts. Somebody say amen. In other words, it's not based on what I sense. I think this is going to happen. I, I hope this is going to happen. I, I want this to happen. It's not based on what I sense. It's based on what God said. Folks, I'll tell you what. You need to know what God's word says. Somebody say amen. I know, you know, you need to know that. It's not based on my emotions. It's not based on, you know, but it's based on what God has spoken. It's not based on my imagination. It's based on God's obligation to do what he said he would do. How many of you believe and would say this morning that God will do what he says he will do? Somebody says, you know, I, 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 is it God's will for me to heal, if, to, to heal me? Well, what does the Bible say? You know, when, what, what, you know what was the Bible says to the man that would ask for healing? Lord, if, if you will, in other words, conditionally, if you will, if, you know, in other words, I know you can. If you will heal me, you know, if you will heal me. And you know what Jesus said? I will. I will. I will. But you've got to ask. Somebody say, you've got to ask. You have not because you that's not, some people don't even ask. So you've got to invoke God. You've got to get God into the equation. You've got to get God there. There's over 7,000, close to 8,000 promises in the word of God. And folks, we need to find those promises that we need in our times of storms in life. If you believe that, say amen. So certain hope is based on the fact that God cannot lie. How many would be... How many of you this morning, you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you this morning would say that you've had someone that's lied to you before? Mm. How many of you have had someone that's, somebody, somebody raised their hand, been dishonest? You ever been around a salesperson? You know, never, I would never buy an automobile from a place called Lucky's. <laughs> I, I, there is one. And I, I thought, you know what? I would never buy a car there. At Lucky's? Are you lucky? <laughs> Are you lucky with this one? <laughs> oh, that's another story. <laughs> Certain hope is based on fact that God cannot lie. God will not lie to you. How many of you know God tells the truth? Amen. And he'll just tell you exactly what it is. He said, I, Lord, will you do this? He said, I'll do this if you'll do that. Amen. Will you do that? In other words, we need to be doing what we need to be doing, and, let, and then God let God do what he will do. Somebody say amen. amen. God can, now, 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 let me just say this. People say, is there anything that God cannot do? Yes, there is. There are things that God cannot do. God cannot deny himself. He wouldn't be God if he did. God cannot do evil. He would not be God if he did. There are certain things, obviously, that God is self-limiting in his own character. And one of those things is God cannot lie. He will not, he cannot, he will not lie. God cannot lie. Now, folks, this is big. If you ever hear the devil tell you something, let me tell you something. If the, ever, the, the enemy's ever speaking to you, don't believe it. He come up to me and he says, you're not saved. And I said, and you're a liar. Yes. And if you're saying I'm not saved, I must be. Yes. How many of you know the devil lies? 
He can't tell the truth. He's the father of them, the lies. The opposite of that is God, our Father, which art in heaven, and he tells the truth. He will tell you the truth. You don't have to worry about that. He tells the truth. So God cannot lie. Listen to a promise that he gives. Hebrews 6, 13 through 19. And here's the example. I want you to turn to it. I want you to look at it. And here's what it says. It it talks about Abraham. And God made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham waited patiently for it to happen. God is not a vending machine. God doesn't give you a promise and then fulfill it the next day or, 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 or at your whim or when you want it fulfilled. But he does it in his timing, not your timing. Somebody say amen. That's who God is. So there will always be a time when God gives you a promise. There will always be a delay because he's going to see if you're going to trust him. And this is, this is it. God says, okay, I'm going to do that. But then he starts waiting to see what you're going to do. And then during that time, are you going to trust him? You, you've asked him to do something. Or are you going to trust him? You're, you're praying for rain. Let me say this. You know, you need to take your umbrella out and believe it's going to rain. Come on, somebody. In other words, you're praying for rain. Well, I got my umbrella because I know it's going to rain because I prayed about it. Come on, somebody. In other words, you have that kind of faith. You have that kind of confidence in God. That's what God wants to do. He wants to build your faith. So God made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham, the Bible said, waited patiently, oh, for that promise. Now, actually, he was 99 years old. And, and folks, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I mean, can you imagine the ridicule that he got? He's 99 years old, you know, when it happened. So he received what God promised. People always use the name of someone greater them themselves when they make an oath. And let me just stop here and explain that. Have you ever noticed that when people who don't believe in Jesus use the name of Jesus more than you do? In the wrong way. But they use it. Why do they do that? You think, what are you talking about? Why are you bringing Jesus into this for? I've even asked a guy. And a guy was at shop one day, you know, and he said, Jesus Christ. I said, hey, you know him too? <laughs> Yeah, well, what are you bringing him in the equation? He had nothing to do with what just happened. But see, they, that, that name, that name they use, that oath, that name that they're swearing, you know, it's that, it's that name, it's using that name, but it's using it in the wrong way, but it's using that name. How many of you agree that there's power in the name of Jesus? And even they recognize that. Even the atheists believe when something bad happens, they say, oh, my God. Oh, you, you believe him too? Oh, no, no, I didn't say I believe him. Well, you just said, oh, my God. I know I've been a little facetious this morning, but I think you've got my drift. Why is it when someone gets mad that they bring God in the equation? Why is it when someone uh, smacks their thumb, they bring God in the equation? Come on, somebody. And you, you think about that because it's that name, that, you know, that oath. And, that, you know, and, and, you know, and I'll tell you why. He's saying here, people always use the name of something greater than themselves when they make an oath. That's, that's it. That's the bottom line, Okay. But they come up and, and, and they're cussing. And, you know, it, why? It's, it's that power of the name of Jesus. Mm. So people, when they want to make a promise, they say, I swear by the name of Jesus or God. It, it, you know, in other words, that, that, you know, it's that name. It's that name. So I, I wanted you to see that. Now, there's two things that are unchangeable. In other words, they're never going to change. Number one, would you write this down? God cannot lie. God cannot lie, and he makes a promise, and he, can, and he cannot lie when he makes an oath. 
and, and, and these things encourage us, number one. And number two, they give us strength to hold on to which is the anchor for our soul. They give us strength to hold on when we don't feel like holding on. They give us strength to hold on when, when everything else says to let go. We're holding on to what God says. Why? Because that's the anchor to our soul. One day, Jesus gave the key to hopelessness. And he says in Luke 18.1, Jesus taught his followers that they should, now, now notice this, always pray and never lose hope. Folks, if you've lost hope, you've lost it. Come on, somebody. I said you can't live without hope. Somebody say amen. Now, I, I, I want to you circle that. Always pray and never lose hope. These, my friends, are the two alternatives in life. Now, why should we always pray and never lose hope? Let me give you 10 things. I'm going to go through these real fast. I don't have a lot of time to, to, to spend here. And we could do a whole sermon just on that, but I don't do that. Uh, let me just give you some things. And, and through our praying, we can find the antidotes to hopelessness. We're going to, that's where we're going with this, okay? But let me just give you some of uh, the opposite of that, okay? Let me just give you uh, 10 causes of hopelessness, okay? Number one, write this down. When you feel alone, or when you feel abandoned, or when you feel that a long period of time, when you feel that long period of time, it causes you to feel hopeless. You can be in a crowd, and you can still be alone. Isn't that true? You have people all around you, but you still feel lonely. When you feel all alone, and when you feel abandoned, that causes hopelessness. And you need an antidote to that, okay? You need something to help you to to turn this thing around in your life when you feel that way. Number two, write this down. When life seems out of control and it never is going to change or you feel hopeless about this in your relationship or in, in, in a certain situation in your life or in, in, in my habits, you know, that feeling of hopelessness. Folks, we need to turn that around. Number three, you don't see a purpose. You see, people can handle enormous kinds of pain and, or whatever it may be in life. And, you know, but when there's no rhythm or rhyme to what pain they just went through and they don't understand, let me tell you something, they have hopelessness in their lives. So there needs to be a purpose. Number four, a grieving, a loss. When you've had a, a, a bad major loss or a series of major losses in your life, that can cause a sense of hopelessness. I know people right now, that they, they're sensing that right now because of a loss. And folks, we need, uh, we need the antidote to that to turn that around in our lives. Number five, when you can't get it, when you need more energy and you don't have it, you need to be smarter and you're not. You need more talent and you don't have it. Uh, and you just feel like you're always behind. I'm, I'm always a day late and a dollar short. So many people go through life feeling that their entire lives don't have what they need. And if they feel that way, folks, there comes a time when there's a hopelessness in their lives. How many of you know that we, we have hope in God today? And the Lord Jesus can turn those things around. Number six, when you're doing something wrong, and that, that's a big one. When you're doing something wrong, guilt causes hopelessness. Shame and regret causes hopelessness. Remorse causes hopelessness. And that's the reason that Calvary, we, we find Calvary covers it all. That, that, that's our hope in that. When I cannot forgive myself or for something that I did and it, and it just eats away at me. It's, it's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you and it's causing hopelessness in your life. And we need to realize we need an antidote for that. Number seven, when you've been deeply wounded by somebody. And, you know, I could ask the question this morning, how many of you felt deeply wounded by someone? I believe many of you would raise their hands because you felt deeply wounded by someone. 
maybe abuse, maybe physical abuse, maybe sexual abuse, or some other way that you've been abused in your life, okay, but you felt wounded by someone. And let me tell you something, you, you, you're going to need that anchor for your soul. You're going to need that hope for your soul. Bitterness and resentment and, are holding you down and holding you back. That's hopelessness in your life. Number eight, write this down. When you're pulled in the wrong direction, and, and there's a word for this. It's called temptation. And, and the enemy wants to pull you in the wrong direction. There might be a situation that he's trying to pull you over here, and you feel that sense of pulling you away from God. And there's a lot of, there's, how many of you agree there's all kinds of temptations in the world today? And some people say, I don't have a problem with this, I don't have a problem with this, but I do have a problem with that, you know. And the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are tempted today, yet without sin. But he was tempted. He was being pulled in that direction. There was a pulling of that direction. So we need to understand that, okay, that, that when you're being pulled in the wrong direction, you know, being constantly being pulled in the wrong dress, direction could cause can cause that hopelessness. Number nine, hounded by fear, which is the opposite of faith. When you're frightened, when you're scared, when you live in anxiety, folks, there's hopelessness there. There's a hopelessness there. That's the reason people take their lives because they don't feel like they have nothing to live for. Number 10, when it looks like you're defeated, when you feel like I'm not on the winning side and I'm on the losing side and, and defeat is sure, when you feel that defeat all around you, folks, that is hopelessness in your life. Aren't you glad this morning that there's an antidote to hopelessness? Aren't you glad that we, you know, and that's the reason that we come out to worship. That's the reason we come to the house of God, that we can worship God and learn more about God because we don't want to be in that hopeless state but we want the antidote. So what's the antidote of feeling hopeless? And, and you know, I, I'm going to give you a few of these this morning. There's several of them. There's many of them. And I'm going to give you a few of them. I thought maybe I'd give you five. I don't know if I can get to that many or not, but we'll try. The more that you understand the Lord's Prayer and you understand every one of those phrases, the more hope that you're going to have in your life. Now, folks, I'll tell you, my prayer and matter of fact, even the disciples, they looked at Jesus and they, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them a model prayer. And there's something powerful about that model prayer that we need to see. Now, there's some in-depth in that. And if you're just saying the prayer by itself without, you know, in, in other words, you could, you could say the prayer in, in a minute's time, okay, or a minute, minute and a half, whatever. You can say that. You can say the whole, whole prayer. But there's so much in-depth in that. And we just want to... Like the onion, we're going to peel a little bit up this morning and let you begin to see the power that's in the Lord's Prayer. And let me tell you something. We need to be praying it every day in our lives. If you believe that, say amen. Something powerful about it. And I start my prayer out that way. It's just a way. It's a model. I mean, you don't have to. I'm not talking about just a ritual. If it's just ritual to you, it's, not, it's no good. But it's got to go from ritual to relationship. But it may start out ritual. Ritual's all right to start out the way. But it needs to get into relationship. But there's, it's okay to have a model. So, number one, write this down. My loving father will never abandon me. My now, there's something about my father, uh, Dennis. Uh, we had a relationship. We didn't always agree because I thought I know more than he did. I should have got a response from that. <laughs> Some of you are writing them probably, okay. But, you know, there was, we had a relationship. We had a relationship. And, and we understood, you know, and, and even, you know, I mean, he, but that one thing I knew, I knew he would never abandon me. 
Now, thank God I have that heritage. Maybe you don't, didn't have that heritage. Let me say this. You, you may say this morning, you say, well, you know what? My father and I didn't have that kind of relationship. Let me tell you something. You can have that kind of relationship with your heavenly father. Somebody say amen. So that's the good news for you today. So, you know, sometimes I base that, and, and, and my wife will tell me, well, honey, not everybody maybe had the relationship that you had with your dad because we had a very healthy relationship. I mean, it was just like that. You know, he would never abandon me. My, my loving father in heaven will never ab- abandon me. And here's, here's, the, here's the phrase, our father in heaven. Now, let me just say this. When Jesus prayed that, nobody else had prayed that way before. Nobody else prayed that way before. Nobody opened the door like that to pray that way to God before. When you prayed to God before, you know, it, it, it had never been that way before until Jesus brought it on the scene. Now, you know, notice what he says, my father which is in heaven. Uh, you're not an orphan. Somebody say amen. You're not an orphan. When you, when you are born again and you come into the kingdom of God, how many of you know that, that God now is your father? Jesus Christ is your big brother. You have an inheritance with God. You are part of the family. You don't sit outside, but you come to the table. Somebody say amen. amen. Can you imagine that? I mean, we, we come into the presence of Almighty God. We, you know, the Bible calls us sons and daughters of God. And we're not orphans now, but we are part of Folks, I'll tell you, there's a revelation there that just goes so deep when you think about that. And God says, you know, we were far into sin and all those things in our lives. And now our Father, which art in heaven, we're talking to him like we would talk to our earthly father. We're, we're talking to him as our heavenly father. Our Father, which are in heaven, our heavenly father. Think about that. You don't realize how radical it was when Jesus used this phrase, our Father. Nobody had ever talked to God that way before. We do it all the time now. We do it. He brought us in that kind of relationship that we have with God. Think about it. When you go into that prayer closet and you begin to pray, our Father, which art in heaven. Hallelujah. And folks, I'll tell you, it makes all the difference to the world. When I needed something and my dad could do that for me, let me tell you something, at a click of the finger, he would do it. Did you hear me? He would do it. So many times that he he went on the limb for me. Why? I'm his son. And he would just tell me, whatever I have is going to be yours someday anyway. You know, in other words, that's how he felt about things. And that's the way I feel about things. And that's the way God feels about things. Can you say amen? He's our Father, which art in heaven. But, but it's because of this prayer. It was so radical when he said it. You have to be a father who is caring and comforting and consistent. And, and he closes, and he's so close, I should say, to us all the time. So close in that relationship way. So when we get in that closet and we're praying, God is there with us. Our Father, which art in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven, my Father will never abandon me. That gives me hope. And folks, when I, you know what? Uh, it's like one guy said. He said, "You know, God's not hearing my prayers." How many's ever heard somebody say that? God, I don't believe God's hearing my prayers. anybody, anybody here besides me? One, two people, three people, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. How many's here today? <laughs> Do like this, that person beside of you. Maybe you're waking up. Said, so, "You know what? I don't believe God's hearing me." person said, well, why don't you just curse him? 
Oh, oh, he'd hear that. Oh, oh, I see. He'd hear you if you'd curse at him. But he would, he, he, you know, but if you'd pray, he won't hear you. How many of you know that's about as dumb as dumb can get? <laughs> if, if that's the way we're thinking, that, that's some dumb thinking. That's dumb and dumber there. Come on, somebody. <laughs> really? I mean, he'd hear you curse, but he wouldn't hear you pray. How many of you agree? How many of you know that God hears us when we pray? That's the promise of his word. That's where he says, I cannot lie. He will hear you. He will hear you when you pray. Mm. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Number two. Let's let's cover at least one one or two more. God's power is greater than any problem. God's power is greater than any problem. Now, folks, I'll tell you, now that put optimism in my bones. That puts excitement in my bones. That puts expectation in my bones. That puts faith in my bones. When God's power is greater than any power, and when God's word says greater is he that's helped me out within you than he that's within the world, we have the greater one. Somebody say amen. Now, notice this phrase, and here's the phrase, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. The Bible teaches that there's no, that there is power in the name of God and power in the name of Jesus. There's power. And when we hallow his name, it brings power in our lives. This is my ritual, but it gets in relationship. Our Father which art in heaven. And I I think of it like that. You know, my relationship with God, I'm thinking about all of those things. And then, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. And what kind of name does he have? You know what? He's Jehovah Rapha. He's our healer. And if he's Jehovah Rapha, that means he's our healer. He, he gave that name when, when, he, when he came you know, to us in a time that we needed healing. He said, I'm Jehovah Rapha. I'm your healer. So he's Jehovah Rapha to us. If you need healing this morning, he's Jehovah Rapha to you. Somebody say amen. Hallowed be thy name. He's Jehovah Jireh to us. When one has something of a need in their lives, you can say, he's Jehovah Jireh. What does that mean? The God that's more than enough. Oh, my. He can do more than enough. Somebody say amen. So he's Jehovah Jireh to us. And he's everything that we need. Jesus, even himself prayed, keep them safe by the power of of your name, hallelujah, because keep them safe. How many of you know there's power in the name of Jesus? Now, did not he give us the right to use the name of Jesus? How many of you know the book of Acts? A little funny story, but I love it. You know, they were using the name of Jesus to cast out devils. They're using the name of Jesus, getting people healed. They're using the name of Jesus. All kinds of things have happened. And, and Philip, you know, in Samaria, they said the city was just overjoyous. It's like, wow, that city was just a revival in that city. They was using the name of Jesus. Things were happening, and God was just exalted, and people were getting saved. They had to call for the elders of, in Jerusalem to come down and, and lay hands on them that they may receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues, all those things, that, you know, and, and the second step and get deeper in waters and stuff like that. But they was using the name of Jesus. But there was a guy there. Anybody know his name? Anybody know his name? He was there, and he wanted to use that name 
Simon the sorcerer. He, he wanted to use that name. He wanted to use the name. And then later in the book of Acts, and, and, and we had another, he and I, uh, sons of Sceva, they, they too, you know, they, they wanted to use the, the name uh, of, of Jesus to do exploits. But when it come to one place there in the scripture, and they're using the name of Jesus, and they said, and he says, I, I, I use the name, of, uh, I, I drew you by the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And the spirit spoke back and said, Paul, I know. He's kicked my butt many times. I know that Paul guy. That Paul guy's kicked me out of all kinds of places. I know Paul. That's spirit speaking. And I sure know Jesus. You see these two black eyes? He just gave me them. I know Jesus. But who are you? So, folks, we need to have a relationship for using the name. Come on, somebody. I'm being a little facetious this morning, but we need to know him. Come on, somebody. But once we know him, let me tell you something. That the enemy's even going to know us. The enemy, my point being, he knew Paul because he, you know, he had that relationship. Hallowed be thy name. And he used the name of Jesus. He used the name of Jesus. So Jesus, even himself, prayed, keep them safe of the power of your name. So we'll go, we'll go into this more later. But God's power is greater than any power. And it's wrapped up in the name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. I'm going to give you one more. Number three. You got to have a three-point sermon, so I got at least three points this morning. God fits everything into his plan. God fits everything into his plan. And this is the reason for hope, that even my mistakes, even my sins, he fits into his plans. Hmm, let me explain that. And his plan is called the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. There's, that, that's a powerful statement there. And, and we're to seek the kingdom of God. And if, you, know, you know, if we seek the kingdom of God, all the other things that we have need of will be given to us if we seek the kingdom of God. How many of you know we need the kingdom of God in our lives? <clears throat> important and we're to seek the kingdom of God and we're to live for the kingdom of God and we're to live for God's plan and God's purposes see one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible Romans 8 28 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord to them that are called according to his purpose now I didn't say all things were good I didn't say all things were of God or sometimes I'm having a situation it may be me. I'm having a problem. It may be me. You know, <laughs> uh, you know you're having a situation in your marriage. It, it may be you or, or, you know, your spouse or whatever. One of, it may be one of you. But how many of you know that sometimes it's the enemy? How many of you know we do have an enemy? Sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes it's because of situations. How many of you know <clears throat> circumstances and situations in a marriage, for instance, to give you an illustration? How many of you know, if, if just all kinds of things begin to happen and you're having financial problems, how many of you know it brings stress up on the marriage? You, you tracking with me? So we see all these things, you know, can cause us problems. But, you know, all things, everybody say all things, work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that call it according to his purpose. See, I believe that, that sometimes, you know, 
things look like, oh, my goodness, that looks bad. And it may be at the time. And maybe God has nothing to do with it whatsoever. But how many of you know God can take something bad and he can make something good out of it? Now, let me, let me, let me just go back to the book of Genesis to get, to get that narrative in proper perspective. Now, in the book of Genesis, you know, when, when, you know, Joseph was put in prison, all the things that happened to Joseph and, and his, his brother sold him into slavery, all those things. How many of you know Joseph could have had a bad attitude? How many of you know Joseph could have been real revengeful? But you know what he said to his brothers? When he came down to it, you know what he said? He said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. I mean, God sees, he sees the end and what's going to happen. Let me tell you something. You, you, you know, it, it may, the score may, you know, you, you may be in a football game. It may be 21 to nothing. But let me tell you what, you still win that game. Come on, somebody. If there's time on the board, you still win that game. Unless it was like last night, 49 to nothing. You know, that's, man, they, I don't, they just should quit and walked off, I think. O-H. Yeah, wow. Wasn't that something? Well, they're doing good, aren't they? <laughs> Go Bucks. I, I saw a sign there that said the buck stops here. I don't think that buck stopped there. That <laughs> buck went right over top of them, you know. God fits everything into his plan. Can you say amen? amen. He takes even the bad things in our lives. Isaiah 61, and I love that scripture, and I'm going to close on that because I want to have time to pray for you this morning. We're going to pick this up, and there's so many things that we could say, and we are, we will. Mm. And I know God wants to minister to you this morning. I know that. Hallelujah. God fits everything into his plan. I believe God has a plan for every person that's sitting here this morning. And you might say, you know what? I don't see how in the world God could put all this back together. But he sums it up in Isaiah 61. He says it like this. It talks about an exchange that you need to make. Beauty for ashes. And all you may have this morning is ashes. Your dreams have been burned up. All you may have is just the damage that's happened in your life. Maybe all you have to offer this morning is a life that's spent and gone wrong and burned up and all kinds of things that went wrong. But God says, if you'll give me that, I'll give you beauty. Give me those ashes. So, so we have to give all that to God. And that's, that's where I want to pray with you this morning. And I know we've only got to scratch the surface of these antidotes. There's three of them this morning. But let me pray with you this morning. And let me just pray that God will help you to have hope in your life. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Give the Lord a hand clap, would you?